So do you want to just uh, come and let's just pray and lift up um, Lenise this morning. So Father, thank you for putting Lenise with us today to share what's on your heart. Thank you that um, she will have spent time with you, listening to your heart and wanting to share what you want to give us this morning. So Father, we want to say that we receive by faith those words that she's taken that time to seek you for. And we pray for a release and an anointing of your spirit to bring um, out those things, those treasures that you've stored within her, that, Lord, they would be life to us as we hear them and receive them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning. You know, I think I sound British. So I hope you understand my accent. I think I'm echoing a lot. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Kurede Kerala Bakayada. Oh, hallelujah. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love, Father. For your goodness, for your kindness. We thank you. You are our daddy and our awesome God. And I pray and I thank you that you give me utterance, Holy Spirit, to speak those words that you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. If we listen to all the prophetic words that came forth this morning, then it's in line with what I want to say. God wants you to have his best. He wants you, it is his desire for you, to have his best. That's what he wants, that's his desire. And you can mentally ascend to it and you can say, yes, amen. But you know, when life throws you a curveball, that's when you truly know what you believe. When, another way of saying it is, when the rubber hits the road, what are you believing? That's very, very important. And it's in those times that we need to know that he has made a way for us to live so that we can experience his best. He's made that way already. We don't have to look for it to find it. We have it. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He has made the way. He has paved the way so that you can experience his best. The question is, where are you looking? What are you looking at? Where is your gaze? Where is your focus? Because there are so many things in the world that's going on. There are so many things that we can be so distracted. You know, I mean, you can sit and read your Bible and the phone goes bing and you leave it and you take your phone. And even if you leave it in another room, you keep on thinking about the phone. Is that true? Yes, it is true. 
because there are so many distractions. But this morning, I believe the Lord wants you to take your focus and take it captive and put it where he wants it to be. And he wants your focus to be on him. He does not want your focus to be on your circumstances. He does not want your focus to be on your problem. He does not want your focus to be there because if your focus is your problem, you cannot hear his solution. You cannot see his answer. And so really this way of life that he has prepared for us, we can see in the scriptures about our redemption. And if we go to Ephesians 2... It's slide um, one and then two. And I'm going to read from the um, Amplified Classic Version, from verse four. But God. I love a scripture that says, but God. Because everything can be a mess, but God. But God, so rich is he in mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself. That's what you have received. You have received his life. The Bible says you have received it. Not you're going to receive it when you go to heaven. You have received his life. The same life with which he quickened him. For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. Not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do so no one can pride himself in it or take glory to himself. We have spoken about healing. We've spoken about scars. We've spoken about the blood of Jesus that bought us, that cleansed us, that gave us everything that we have received. And if we look at that word salvation, saved, it's the Greek word sozo, and I'm sure all of you know that word. It's not, this is not a new message, but it means to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, to preserve, and to make whole. And I want to tell you this morning that it is by grace that you have that. It is by grace. It is by his favor, his mercy, and you didn't deserve it. And that is very important to remember. You didn't deserve it. Because when you were still dead in your shortcomings, dead in your failures, he already saw you. He already made a way for you to give you his life. Yeah. It is by grace 
His favor that you are saved. His favor that you are delivered. His favor that you are healed. His favor that you are made whole. He paid the price. He gave his blood. We live by faith. Yes. But we live by grace through faith. Hallelujah. Your focus is not your faith. Your focus is his grace. Your focus is the person of Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you this morning, if you see him in his grace, he sees your faith. When you see him in his grace, great faith arises. When you hear him in his grace, great faith arises. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. That's what the, the Greek letter says. Hearing of the words of Christ. That's how faith comes. But we live by grace. We don't live by faith alone. It is by grace through faith that we receive it. The just shall live by faith, the Bible says. So who's the just? Are you just? I hope so. <laughs> we are justified. Not by your goodness. How are you saved? By your goodness. No, we are saved by grace. You didn't deserve it. And there is a big principle here. God has planned for it so that man cannot boast. When you boast, then you need to look at what you're looking at. Because then you're looking at yourself. You know, people say, God is wonderful, but... He gave me a big deliverance, but I prayed every day. God healed me, but I confessed my faith every day. God made the difference, but I. Why don't we just say, God is wonderful. By his grace, I receive deliverance. By his grace, I am healed. By his grace, I am saved. By his grace, I'm protected through this pandemic. By his grace, he took care of all my needs. By his grace, he provided everything for me. I didn't earn it, but I believed him, yes. Because I saw him seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah, where I'm seated with him. Where I'm with him in that place. That superior place that he's given me. But my focus needs to be Jesus. My focus does not need to be how much can I do. How much can I receive. This is the principle of living by grace. We live by grace through faith. The two go together. Because if you try to live by faith on your own, you'll get into works. And you will begin to boast. And you will begin to see that it's only that. And you will be disappointed. And condemnation will come. Because you will think I'm not good enough. I don't have enough faith. I need to do more. But I want to, this morning, if I can just gather you together and say, 
look at him. See him. Desire him. By grace through faith is the principle. Hallelujah. You see, the new covenant is entirely based on his unmerited, undeserved blessing towards you. And there's nothing for you to do. Nothing. Except through faith. Except through faith. That is the highest form of faith. Is to believe in his grace. It's the highest, it's the highest expression of faith that you can have. Is to believe in his grace. Hallelujah. You see, when you can boast, the Bible calls that pride. And in James it says, God resists the proud. It's not by works. It is a gift. It is the gift of God. And you know, um, I found in Exodus 17 a wonderful um, example of living by grace. And um, Exodus 17 from verse 8, I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So jo Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he laid down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. Now, I want you to see something here. Israel was camping at Rephidim. So if we go to slide number six, please. Now, Rephidim in Hebrew means resting place. So what we see here is we see a type of the rest of the believer in Christ Jesus. So here was Israel... They've now left Egypt, and my goodness me, they didn't have an easy road. But they came to Rephidim, and there they rested. And they camped there. We are called to rest. That's not speaking about your job. Please don't leave your job. <laughs> It's not that kind of rest. It's a spiritual rest. And rest is found by the person who believes the finished work of the cross is enough. 
when you think you have to do something to receive the blessing, you cannot rest. You labor. But rest is this confidence that Jesus has done it all and he has completed the job. It was a good one. It's finished. Jesus declared, it is finished. There's nothing to be added to it. The person who believes that is able to rest. So it says in Hebrews 4, uh, slide 3, Hebrews 4, verse 10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So God wants you to adopt a posture of rest in faith. Listen to me. Anything that places a demand on you is of law and not of grace. Because grace gives freely. Law places a demand on you. God wants you to have this posture of rest. Why? Because you believe that the work of Christ is enough. It is sufficient to cover everything that you need, no matter what it is. So at that place of rest, what we found is that Israel's was attacked. So in your place of rest, you can be attacked. When you enter that rest, doesn't mean that you're never going to have a trial. You're never going to have a problem. Here's the example. Israel was at Rephidim. They were in this place of rest. They were camping there, but they were attacked. And I remember many years ago, um, I... <laughs> I, I experienced a really big thing in my life that caused me a lot of heartache. I mean, I tell you what, I felt as if the rug was plucked from under my life. I, I, I really, it was such a curveball that came at me at a furious pace. It shook just about everything in me and my husband's life. We were like, whew, what just happened? And I remember calling out to the Lord, and all I could do was pray in tongues. That was all I could do. I, I, I couldn't confess the word. I couldn't even pray in English because I didn't know what to pray. But when I started praying in tongues, I, I want to tell you, grace came. <laughs> and grace strengthened me and built me up because Jude verse 20 says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. Hallelujah. And I, I remember I was crying. I didn't know what hit me. But I was praying in tongues for a total hour of eight, for a total time of eight hours that day. Totally impossible for me. But what was that? It was his grace. Because I didn't know what to do. 
I was helpless. I had nothing else but looking at him. Holy Spirit came and he gave me utterance. And I believe that was the perfect prayer. I believe that that was praying his will. I believe that whatever had to be done would be done at that moment. And so when life comes, throwing a curveball at you, Holy Spirit guidance, Holy Spirit activity will lead you into what you have to do at that moment. There isn't something when you rest that you do nothing. Rest is Holy Spirit activity, not nothing. You don't do anything to add to the work of Christ. But my goodness me, he will guide you. That day, he guided me. He gave me utterance. It was completely and utterly supernatural because I was not the kind of person that could pray for so many hours. It just uh, I'm sorry, but it's not possible for me. I kind of pray and believe I receive it and, <laughs> and rest. <laughs> That wasn't possible for me. Can I boast? No, because it wasn't even me. <laughs> it's nothing to boast about because it was absolutely grace through faith, believing that if I give utterance to this Holy Spirit, giving me utterance, supernatural utterance all the time, he is doing what needs to be done in the spiritual realm. And so when we, don't be surprised when you are attacked. You see, you are attacked, Israel was attacked by the Amalekites. Now, in Hebrew, Amalekites mean painful toil. So when you rest, you are attacked by painful toil. Satan wants to disrupt your rest. He wants you to be stressed out. He wants you to lose sleep. He wants you to feel that it's all depending upon you. And if you don't do it, and if you don't stand, and if you don't fight, and if you don't do, nothing is going to happen because you have to make it happen. And that will exhaust you. It will make you so tired. I, I, I honestly, I, I'm, I'm preaching from... Um, <laughs> experience because um, I'm totally imperfect except in him. If you yield to that disruption, it will get you into works. I, you know, when I, when I had to pray in tongues like that, I was sorely tempted to argue my case. I was sorely tempted to throw the word at the situation. And throw the word at that person and say, you know, the Bible says. And you know, you, we can use scripture. I'm all for doing the word of God. I am. I really believe you need to apply God's principles of his word in your life. But I also believe that in a trial, you need to get the wisdom of God. So whilst I had this temptation of, you know, I'm not taking this nonsense. The Bible says da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I didn't do that. Why? 
because on the inside of me, there was a small voice of the Holy Spirit reminding me, love covers a multitude of sins. I want you to love in this situation like I have loved you. I don't tell you what is wrong with you. I don't tell you everything that you did. I have totally forgiven you. I have washed it away with my blood. That is the kind of unconditional love I want you to walk in now. Because that's how he deals with you. He will not condemn you. If you feel condemned, I want to tell you, it's not, it's not him. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is not there to judge you. He is there to pick you up. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. You know what? Because I had at least a 50% share in this mess that I found myself in. So when you find yourself in a mess like that, say, oh Lord, you know... <laughs> You know everything. <laughs> you know you know everything. I, I don't even have to tell you everything. You know how I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. But oh, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you love me unconditionally. And when you, you know that he loves you, that love rises up on the inside of you. And you can love others with that same love. Grace is enough. It is sufficient what he has done. And then you enter into that rest. And so what we see here, I said that we need Holy Spirit guidance, is that whilst Joshua went down to fight with the Amalekites, Moses said, I will stand... <laughs> Excuse me, can you go to um, slide two? Yeah. Moses said, I will stand on top of the hill. I will do it. From, Genesis, from Exodus 15, all the way that Israel left Ex um, Egypt, God told Moses every time what he had to do except in this instance. Moses said, I will go up to the hill. I will stand with the rod of God. I will go and do it. Moses used the rod to hit the rock and water came out. God told him every time how to use this rod. He used that rod to hit the sea. The water part opened up. That rod was very significant. But this time God didn't say anything. Moses went up the hill. So what do we see there? What do we learn from that? Don't use yesterday's manner for today's problem. Don't use what worked in the past just because it worked in the past. Because God has fresh manner for every day. What happened to Moses? He stood and he got so tired that he couldn't keep on standing. He couldn't keep on holding the rod. When he held up the rod, 
Israel prevailed. When he lowered the rod, the Amalekites prevailed. And he couldn't keep it up anymore. When we begin to do our own thing, even if it is the scriptural thing, we'll get tired. We need the wisdom of God. Because that is what will take you through the trial. That is the wisdom of God. So what her and Aaron did was they took a stone and they sat him down and they held up his arms with a rod. And that is a beautiful picture of rest. He sat on the stone. But what is that stone? The Hebrew word for stone is the word eben. And the literal Hebrew letters mean the Father and the Son. It also reminds me on Jesus, the chief, about Jesus, who is the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. He is the chief cornerstone. And we are built on that foundation of Jesus. He is the stone the builders rejected. He is the stone you will reject when you want to do your own thing. But it will not be successful. But when he is the chief cornerstone, you are built together and those who trust in him shall never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. And this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to sit on the foundation that is being built with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. He wants you to hold up the rod. Yes, he wants you to do that. But how do you hold up the rod? And this takes us to what Aaron means. Aaron means exalted place. Exalted or strong or mountain of strength. So Aaron on the one hand held up Moses' arm and on the other hand her held it up. And her in Hebrew means to be white or to grow white or any white, white stuff including garments and linen. And white in the Bible refers to purity and righteousness. And what a beautiful picture. Here you are seated on Jesus as the chief cornerstone holding up the rod of God because you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And on the other side, you are seated with him in heavenly places far above all all principality and power and might and authority and COVID and any pandemic that can come against you. You are seated with him in heavenly places. Remain seated. Remain resting. Sit down. Hallelujah. Sit down on his foundation. Hallelujah. Why can you remain seated? Because even if you are to blame for the problem, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And righteousness means that you meet the perfect moral standard. 
standard that God requires of a man to be acceptable to him. You meet that standard. It's not of yourself. It is of him. It is the righteousness of God imputed to you because of Christ. Because he was made sin so that you can be made the righteousness of God. Righteousness does not only mean, oh, I can go behind the veil. There is no veil anymore. We all love that song, oh, take me behind the veil. No, there is no veil. It's been opened. Because we've been made righteous, we've been made pure, we can remain seated in heavenly places. We have been exalted with Christ. We have been raised with him. We have been seated with him. What more can you desire? What more do you want? Hallelujah. It is the rest of the believer. It is the life that will cause you to experience God's best in every situation. We live by grace through faith in Jesus, the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And so what else did Moses do? He built an altar and then he put up a banner and he said, the Lord is my banner. <laughs> the Lord is my banner. What does a banner mean? I had to go and look it up really because I didn't understand it myself. <laughs> a banner, you know when, 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 when there was a war, then they would plant a flag. Napoleon would plant a flag or I don't know who, who of you have seen the... Um, the movie, The Zulu, yeah, in Rogue's Drift, and they planted a flag because they overcame the Zulus. A banner. It means the ultimate victory. The Lord is my banner. <laughs> He's my ultimate victory. Not the Lord is my banner, but I. The Lord is my banner. I want you today to take your circumstances and lay it on the altar because the blood of Jesus has washed it away already and lift up the banner. The Lord is my ultimate victory. By grace, through faith, I live. And what he has done is enough for me. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.